Well, today, uh, continuing the uh, final farewell series, and I just kind of give you a little update here. <clears throat> I was intending, originally, when I set up my schedule for this series, to uh, complete it next week um, on the John 17 passage of Jesus' high priestly prayer. Uh, but as I was reading through that, I, there's just so much there. I, I don't want to just spend uh, Palm Sunday uh, limited time on, on that. So we're going to have a Palm Sunday focus next week. We're actually going back to John chapter 12, uh, just preceding the um, upper room discourse. And uh, we'll be also focused, uh, of course, on the resurrection on Easter Sunday. But after Easter, I'm going to do three or four Sundays, actually, on John 17. Um, and, and that's going to be on focused on the heart of Jesus. You know, we're going to really get a, an insight into Jesus's heart as he prays to the Father in that prayer. So uh, we'll be in sort of in this series a little bit longer, but it'll be a little different focus as we get into the high priestly prayer. But today uh, we're finishing up this portion of the farewell series, the Upper Room Discourse, following the, uh, the Lord's Supper, which, by the way, we will receive together at the, at the end of this message. But um, as Jesus had the, the Last Supper with his disciples, and then he spends this uh, time uh, speaking to them about preparation for what's to come and uh, a lot of insight as to his care for them. One of the things that we see him say in today's text is that he uses the term in just a little while, okay? And I'm not sure what maybe another translation might say, but in the New Living it says in just a little while, okay? In just a little while. He says that a couple times. You know, when we're going through a hard time, and we hear, just wait a little while, and it will be okay. I don't know. It seems like that little while is not little. Going through stuff, I don't know, it's almost like we go into slow motion mode. And it just seems like it drags on a long time. I, I imagine many of you have felt that way, and maybe some of you are feeling that way today with some struggles that are going on. Um, it's also fascinating to me that um, after that struggle, that situation is kind of passed and we found our way through, it does seem like it has just disappeared sometimes. I mean, some things are deep, and I know they last a long time, but many things in life, even severe things, once we're through them, <laughs> once we've moved on, once life has kind of grabbed us for other things, it just seems like it went. Well, here we have the disciples in the midst of some very serious things, more than they even were aware of, and that's what Jesus keeps talking to them about. And uh, in this section, he tells his disciples that in a little while you won't see me anymore, but in a little while after that you will see me again. We find in this text that the disciples wrestled with what he meant. And Jesus tells them, you will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. So let's read the first part of today's scripture. I'm going to take this into three sections. But the first part, verses 16 to 22 of chapter 16. Again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Jesus speaking says, in a little while you won't see me anymore, but a little while after that you will see me again. 
Some of the disciples asked each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while you won't see me, but then you will see me, and I am going to the Father, and what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it, so he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said, in a little while you won't see me, but a little while after that you will see me again. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. As I mentioned the last couple of weeks in particular, this talk, this upper room discourse, is uh, Jesus giving key elements of help to his disciples and truth that they need to hear, but you notice he keeps going over them and over them and over them again. Um, He says to them at least six times by the time we get to this part that he's leaving, okay? He said it in other ways too, so it's probably a little more than six times. But I mean, he just keeps saying, hey, this is what's happening now. I'm going to be leaving you. It's very obvious that he wants them to get that point, although I'm sure they're wrestling with it. And we find that again in this section today. And as he talks to his disciples as to what is going to happen, he's not only providing information for them, but he's also promising them his care and his provision for them as they go through hard times. We've talked a lot about the Holy Spirit coming. You know, he's preparing them to know that they will be taken care of. And it's going to be okay, even though it's going to be hard. Now, certainly the disciples struggle with losing Jesus But they also keep struggling with what he really is meaning by what he says. And even though, by the way, we know what is to happen, we're on this side, I too find us struggling with what Jesus meant. As I read some commentators on some of this section this week, particularly on the phrase, in a little while, it's interesting. There's a lot of perspectives. (laughs) There's a lot of saying, well, what did he mean? (laughs) You know, is it that he's going to be going to the cross, which it certainly did mean that, okay? And he will rise from the grave and they will see him again. It certainly means that. But there seems to be even more to this. And, and uh, it's good for us to know there's more to it because we just were not there at the time with the disciples, but we're still living today. And this little while that Jesus seems to talk about might even mean the time between then and when he will return again which does fit for our living. Hey, I don't know about you, but as I read the Bible, as I read what Jesus says, there's many times where I'm saying, what does he really mean? Sometimes I don't really want to know what he really means because it means a change of life for me, that I need to adjust what I'm doing to be in line with him. Thank God that Jesus is gentle and kind, (laughs) and he understands our misunderstandings. But it's also rather interesting how Jesus answers 
the questions of the disciples, and even ours at times. We, we don't get a direct answer to our question. You ever notice that with Jesus? He, he answers, but sometimes he answers with questions. <laughs> All right? And, and even in this situation, Jesus doesn't answer them directly. I think they still were confused at the end of it. Matter of fact, he goes right to this point. You're going to grieve, and it will be for a little while. <laughs> that kind of puts in there again. But then your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. Yeah. Well, I guess he does answer it in the sense that the grief is a little while, and he's going to come back and bring them joy. But, but there's so much more to this. And the deep part is he, he wants them to understand that no matter what is going on and whether they understand the times situation, whether it seems like a long time or a little time or whatever it is, that he is promising them that it's going to be okay. That's so important for us, isn't it? On this side of it all. Because even though we've seen that he did rise from the grave and even though we have all the promises of the Bible in our hands, they didn't have the New Testament. We still wrestle. We still struggle with timing. We still struggle with, Lord, how you, when, are you going to, when are you going to come back? When are you going to fix all this? And I believe that the words to the disciples right here are to us today. You might grieve for a little while. As I stood before a family on Friday and watched the pain of loss, which I've seen many times and experienced myself, and we do all the time. In a little while, even though we grieve, it'll be okay. The psalmist said, weeping may last for the night, but joy will come in the morning. <laughs> Sometimes that night seems a long time. But the promise is still there. And that's what Jesus wants us and wants his disciples to hold on to. He uses the illustration of a woman in childbirth. I've never experienced that personally. Not surprising to you, right? But I have experienced participating in a wife who was experiencing it three times. And I can tell you, with all three of our kids, and we went through all the classes and I learned about the breathing and all that stuff, okay? Or all that stuff, right? Yeah. I, I, I probably need to take a refresher course, but yeah. I know that Betty was in a lot of distress. I was amazed how she made it through. I really was. I know that when she was in transition, she was not very happy with me. <laughs> but I also know once that baby came, was placed in her arms, it was amazing how much change had taken place. And that which had seemed overwhelming and would never leave and go away, when is this going to end, right? Then suddenly, wonderful joy. Now, I know in this world there's all kind of tragedies at times with birth, and that makes it so hard, too. 
But Jesus is saying that that change that does take place when there's not a tragedy and, and, a, and a woman has a baby and suddenly that which just seemed like it would never go away has completely gone out of their mind and they're just living in the wonder of having that child in their arms. <laughs> not really thinking about all that's going to mean. <laughs> Certainly a lot of other challenges are going to come along the way. But yet, in that moment, there is the wonderful joy of that miracle. Jesus uses that as the illustration for the disciples. And, and he says that uh, you might not have all this figured out. And by the way, you know, understanding details and logical things don't really take away the struggle of our grief and problems. Um, we men sometimes are kind of trying to be logical with our wives when they're going through a tough time, maybe having a baby. That doesn't help. <laughs> All right, let me just offer you this wonderful, insightful comment. Nah. <laughs> let me fix this. Nah. No. It, it, and it doesn't matter whether we're male or female. You know, when we're in the, in the strivings and struggles of emotional distress, logic and answers are not what really helps us. Jesus doesn't try to give them clear answers here on this little while situation. But he promises that he will see them again, and that will bring them joy that cannot be taken away. Remember what Jesus said back in John 14 as a part of this uh, upper room discourse? I just shared it Friday with that family, right? It says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, some translations say mansions, some say rooms. The real truth is there's a place that he's preparing, okay? It probably isn't a house, but it's a place for each one. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself that you may be there as well. That message was beyond the moment that he's talking about right here, isn't it? He'd already given them the message to start with. That this whole idea of I'm coming back, the whole idea of I'm going to take care of things, it's going to be okay even though you're going to be through some miserable times, is Jesus' message to them and to us. The grief and the sorrow of the disciples was not permanent. It would feel that way as they would see Jesus arrested, beaten, crucified, and buried but on Sunday, he would rise from the dead. He would be seen by them. He would come to them personally and talk with them. He would restore them from their failures, their unbelief and denial. And he would bring them great joy. They couldn't imagine this at the present time, but it would happen. When we suffer and grieve in this life, it is difficult to imagine the wonderful hope that we have in Jesus. But he tells us, in a little while, we will see him and he will see us. A little while to God is a lot different than a little while to us. 
The Bible tells us that a thousand years is like a day to God. <laughs> a thousand years is what? At least ten lifetimes for us or more. We're, our time awareness is so much different than God's. But he's saying, I got you. It's going to be okay. I'm the one that will provide you the joy that you need. The day is coming when it will be all right. And in a little while, the day is coming for all who believe to find complete refreshment in Christ. Romans 8, 22 to 25 speaks of this. We read there, We know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. We can't fully see or understand. But by faith, we look forward to the joy that awaits us. It really is in a little while. And it will be someday. Dear friends, no matter what you go through, our hope is in the Lord. And he is the provider of joy even in the midst of our suffering, but particularly amazing, wonderful joy at some place, I believe even here, but certainly in heaven when we arrive there. Now, Jesus next returns to the subject of prayer. He's spoken about this before, too. This is probably about the third time as we look at the different passages as he specifically talks about that's going to be new and joyful as well. There's going to be renewal in their prayer experiences. So let's look at this passage, John 16, verses 23 to 28. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. I have spoken of these matters in figures of speech, but soon I will stop speaking figuratively and will tell you plainly all about the Father. Then you will ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. Yes, I came from the Father into the world, and now I will leave the world and return to the Father. Jesus, again, talks to them about the promise of renewed prayer life that brings them into complete access to the Father himself. It's the third time that Jesus speaks of it, and it's all about asking and receiving. Jesus' disciples were faithful Jews. They were accustomed to praying, to offering daily prayers. 
but they always prayed to God, to the one who was the creator, to the one who was the sustainer of life, as one that they knew they needed, as one that they were looking to to be their savior, as one that they were trusting in. But it really was not until Jesus came, the intimate, caring, connected relationship that God had desired from the beginning. Sin, of course, had destroyed that. And uh, Jesus comes to show that type of relationship that's going to be possible because of him coming as he walked this earth, as he prayed, and even as he taught his disciples to pray. It was quite earth-shaking when he gave the Lord's Prayer and they asked him to teach us to pray. And, And he began the Lord's Prayer by saying, our Father. I mean, it was an intimate word there. It was actually the word Abba, which means Daddy. I mean, it really is that which says, I'm connected as a family member. I I can come to my dad, and I can ask him, and I can have that connection with him. That had not been experienced, really. And Jesus is saying, hey, this is going to be different for you. He tells them, that they can now have a direct access to God through him, and that they will pray in his name by his authority. And as God the Father would answer Jesus the Son, he will answer them. Their praying to the Father will be like Jesus praying to the Father. So as they pray as those who represent Jesus in this world, God will answer those prayers that are focused on his redemptive purposes in this world. When Jesus prayed, he prayed for God's will to be done and that he would do all that the Father wanted him to do. That's praying in Jesus' name. And so it is true for us today. As we do, as we pray as Jesus would pray, as we pray in his authority and his name, we have the assurance of the Father answering. This will also bring joy from what has been sorrow, knowing that God hears, seeing him work, celebrating his love, and rejoicing in his answers. This is all about, Jesus says, God's love for us. He says, for the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe that I came from God. That's what makes the difference. It's God reaching out to us in his love. It's us responding to his love and brought into a family relationship because of his giving Christ for us. It's interesting that the word that Jesus uses here for love in saying that God loves us and this is the factor in the prayer relationship is the word phileo. It's not agape. It's not the divine love word, okay? It's not the supernatural love word. It's the basically human relationship word. We get the word or the name Philadelphia from Phileo. I was watching the Sixers the other night. They got it on their shirt, City of Brotherly Love. Yeah, Not sure how brotherly love uh, is excessive in Philadelphia. I've been there many times. But it's a good name. <laughs> Not sure they live up to it, right? But you know, God speaks to us through Jesus here, and he says, hey, my love for you is a phileo love. It is, I'm coming down to your level. 
I'm saying, let's communicate. I'm here to meet your needs. You can come right into my very throne room. Yeah. Because of Jesus and his shed Now, at this point, the disciples state that they now have clarity and understand. So let's go on and read a little further. We'll read the rest of this text today, 29 to 33. Then his disciples said, At last you are speaking plainly and not figuratively. I have trouble with that word. I don't figuratively. Okay. Now we understand that you know everything and there's no need to question you. From this we believe that you came from God. Jesus asked, Do you finally believe? But the time is coming, indeed, it is here now, when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. Now, the statement here that we see from the disciples is certainly an expression of new insight. But it's not really what it might sound like. And we can tell from Jesus' response that he certainly knows that. He's, he knows what's in their heart. He knows what's going on. He knows that even though they say they've really got it, they don't really have it yet. They're still in process. And he probably is somewhat disappointed that it's taken so long for them to even get to this point. But he is tender and kind. But he doesn't leave them without the information that they're really going to need. So he goes on to tell them that they will scatter and leave him alone. And, but in the midst of it all, he never, ever gives up on them. That's a good word for us, isn't it? Even when we don't quite get it, even when we get excited and say, I really have it, Jesus, now, and he's thinking, oh, yeah, you got a long ways to go. <laughs> he doesn't give up on us. He keeps speaking into right where we are. He, he identifies the areas where we're struggling and where we even don't appropriately respond. But he doesn't give up. He gives hope. He gives answers in the midst of our failures. He gives strength in the midst of our walking in this life. And in this section, he clearly gives the promise of peace and victory. In the midst of what is disappointment, shame, and confusion with the disciples, Jesus assures them of peace and victory. This promise to the disciples follows Jesus saying, I am. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Even though they're going to scatter, even though they're leaving him, he has confidence that he's going to be okay because the Father is not going to leave him. Now that's kind of an interesting statement, knowing what's going to happen. Because on the cross, we do know that Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there is an interesting moment there where Jesus experiences the separation, which is amazing when you think about it, as a part of the Trinity, suddenly being separated from the Father. But of course, theologically understanding that, what happens there is that Jesus takes our sins fully upon him. 
God cannot look on sin. And when all of that is on him, there is some separation. But it's momentary. It was necessary. Without that, we wouldn't be forgiven. And many have said that might have been more dynamically painful to Jesus than all of the suffering in his body. But he did it for you and me. Praise him. Praise him. What else can we do? But Jesus, in saying, I won't be alone, God the Father is going to get me through this, then says to his disciples this very familiar word, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Dear friends, the world will not win, even though it may appear to do so. Because Jesus is the victor. He wins the battle for us forever. He will rise. He will ascend. He will be at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He will return as King of kings and Lord of lords. And his victory is ours. We know and understand now what he was telling the disciples was to come soon. And we know that he did defeat death, rise from the grave, send the Holy Spirit, empower the disciples to be his witnesses, and build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But we still have many trials and sorrows. We struggle. We grieve the loss of those we love. We wrestle with temptation, rejection, and broken relationships. Life is hard. And Jesus acknowledges that. It's not just kind of a pie in the sky, by and by message. It's reality. He says, you're going to have tough times. But then he says, take heart, because I have overcome the world. Take heart, Christian even in the hard times, because Jesus is victor. He loves you. He will never leave you. Your peace is in him, and victory is assured. He will bring you through. Just as he kept, cared for, and restored these 11, he is still the same today for you and me. Reminds me of an old hymn. We're not going to sing it, but you might sing it in your mind as I read it. O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever, he sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Peace and victory. Don't we yearn for it? But we have it. That's the wonderful good news of the gospel. 
Even though this life is hard, even though we go through grief and sorrow, Jesus promises wonderful joy. Even though we have times when we wonder what is going on and where is God and when's he going to get it done, Jesus said, take heart. I've overcome this world. You, believer, have victory in Jesus. And we're going to celebrate and remember the reason for that victory. This looks like a cup, doesn't it? But what's it represent? It represents the broken body of Christ. It represents the shed blood of Jesus. It represents what he did so that we have his peace and we have his victory. It is a time of celebration. It is a time of rejoicing. Certainly it's a time of seriousness in realizing that it was our sin that put him there. But it's also a reminder of the victory that we have in him. That's why he told his disciples, do this. Remember me until I return. That's why we are doing this, so that we're reminded that our hope is in Christ and that no matter what we've been facing, no matter the struggles that we have, it is the normal process of the pilgrim. But it doesn't deny the fact that our Savior has won and our hope is in Him. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your table, we do so acknowledging our own need of you. That without you we are lost. That without you we are in a situation without victory. And are submitted completely to the, the losses and the failures of this life. But thank you that you didn't leave us where we were. But by the love of God. You came. You came right down to where we are. You came to die, to give your body, to shed your blood, that we might have eternal life. Thank you. And Lord, thank you that you're here and you're present today. And I just pray for each one as we prepare our hearts to take the bread and the cup, that we would examine ourselves, that if anyone here is not really of true faith in you, that that would be dealt with in this very moment. That They will cry out to you, Jesus, to be their Savior, to forgive their sins. And thank you that you've promised that if anyone comes to you, you will not cast them out. And for all of us, Lord, those who are your saved ones that you bought with your blood, May we not take it lightly, but realize again the depth of your sacrifice and the fact that you are Lord and King, and that we would allow you to be our life inside of us completely, even as we take in these elements. In your precious name, amen. Jesus said to his disciples at the upper room, reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 26, 
As they were eating, we're told that Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces. And he gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it. For this is my body. Take and eat. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and he said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Drink it, thanking Christ for paying for your sins, but also looking forward to that day with him again in heaven. We thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you for washing away our sins with your shed blood, for giving yourself completely to be our Savior. And thank you that you give us new life. You give us wonderful joy even in the midst of going through the struggles of life. We give you praise. Amen. Won't you stand with me as we close our service? Rock my 
Jesus is Lord. Our hope is in Him. And in Him we have the promise of peace, and everlasting life, and wonderful joy. Uh, when you're in the midst of times when you don't necessarily feel that, hang in there. That's what He's telling His disciples. All right, you're going to have some grief. You're going to have some struggles. But in a little while, in a little while, in a little while, like that baby being born after some labor. In a little while, you'll have wonderful joy. Do you believe it, Christians? Are you trusting Him to take you through? Are you thankful that He is risen? <laughs> the death could not hold Him, and it can't hold us either. Hallelujah. God bless you. Have a great week. If you're signed up for uh, Community 101, we'll be meeting in the uh, all-purpose room. God bless you.